Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Many of you know I enjoy taking pictures. Photography is my habit. Habit, uh, my, my hobby. <laughs> Lucky I didn't say photography is my hobbit. <laughs> but I enjoy taking pictures because uh, it's a way of uh, my creative self-expression. So when I see something beautiful and I take a picture and I share it with others, it's like, oh, look, this is, this is how I see the world. And I invite others to come into the world and to see how it is. And, and that's, why, that's why, in a sense, uh, photography uh, gives me life. I don't get much chance to take pictures uh, in Singapore simply because of life and ministry. But when I have the opportunity, uh, as I did uh, during the last sabbatical just this year, uh, I do take pictures. So after spending some time in Toronto with some friends in the seminary, taking some classes there and then uh, finishing off all our retreats and everything, uh, my family and myself, or Tina and myself rather, we, we took a short break uh, to visit this lovely place called the Canadian Rockies. Canadian Rockies. Some of you have been there before. Now Tina knows I enjoy taking pictures. And so she said, you know, for when, when I'm driving, on, when you're driving on the road, it's this long journey, she said, I will drive. Tina will drive so that she gives me permission to take pictures. So I'm going to show you some of these pictures along the journey. Okay, so we show some of them. Ah, so you look at that, it's gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you're driving along this road, car in front of you, mountains and just beautiful pines. Next picture. Ah, you look at that. I like black and whites. I like black and whites. Okay, so it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's just beautiful along the way. But it's not only black and whites. Next picture. So this is in HDR, you, you just like that. But finally, last picture, and you can leave that there. It's, I think there's something unusual about black and white. It focuses our attention on, on this. But when we take pictures, basically, it's something outside of ourselves, right? It's not about us. We take something outside and then we share with others and say, wow, this is what I saw. Thank you for sharing the world with me. It's something like that, okay? It's something like that. As contrast to something that uh, this person, Margaret Rankel, she wrote in an article in Straits Times this year, published in Straits Times this year on the 25th of January, and the title of her article is very interesting. It says, you are pointing your camera the wrong way. You are pointing your camera the wrong way. You see, most of the time our camera is facing forward, isn't it? It shows something outside of ourselves. But it says with the advent of the cell phone, there's not just a forward camera, there's also what we call a selfie camera, right? A selfie camera. And so this is what she says. She says with the advent of the self-facing camera, the human world has turned in fundamental ways. The greatest danger in flipping the camera towards ourselves is not miscalculated risk or the loss of self-esteem. The greatest danger is that what happens when we make ourselves the center of the photograph, the center of the world itself. So what, what, what do I mean? So when you took a picture, you saw that picture down there, that is the primary thing that people focus on, isn't it? But when you take a selfie, what happens? What becomes the primary focus? Me. <laughs> and then the backdrop, the beautiful picture there becomes what? It's secondary, it's background. What was actually foreground has now become background. And everything has turned towards 
ourselves. And that's an interesting observation, and thank you, you can take off the picture. <laughs> because this is the kind of world we are living in where we are kind of all turned in, and it's all about us, it's all about me. And today, as we look at God's word in the text, he's telling us something quite opposite. He's telling us, hey friends, it's not about you. It's not about you. And before we carry on, let's take a selfie. I'm just joking. <laughs> Let us pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pause. We pause before your throne of grace. Bring our hearts before you, Lord. Would you pour your Holy Spirit once more over our weary souls? Lord, not just to refresh us, but to liberate us from our inward tendencies and self-focused obsession. Would you grant that we may see you for who you are, holy, majestic, magnificent, high and lifted up, worthy, Lord, worthy, Lord, worthy of all our devotion and love and worship. Help us to see it's not about us, it's about you and your kingdom and your glory. For we ask and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. Many of you know we are preaching through the book of Daniel this year. Daniel has 12 chapters. We are on the last three chapters now. And the next couple of uh, months, we're just going to finish off uh, in these chapters. But today, as we look at uh, Daniel, the last three chapters, the last three chapters is actually one vision. 10, 11, 12 is about one vision. And so we're going to cover today the overview of this one vision so that the next couple of weeks when the various pastors come in and, and they go into detail, we do not get lost in the details. Huh? We get the big picture given to us. So how do we divide these three chapters? So on the screen, you're going to see the broad scope. Uh, chapters 10, 1 to 11, 1. It's an introduction to this vision. A whole chapter, can you imagine? As an introduction, 22 verses just for an introduction. Something important is going on there, isn't it? And then chapter 11, 2 to 12, 2, it's the actual vision itself. 48 verses, very long vision. And then finally, chapter 12, verse 5 to 13, is the concluding words. Nine verses as the concluding words. So that's the frame. How is this text, in some sense, not about us? Not about us. Go think along with me. You're here this morning and on site, and you're here, and you're listening to the sermon. So my question to you is, why are you listening to the sermon? And in the words of many of my children, duh, which basically means, isn't it? It's so obvious, isn't it? We are here because we want to get something out of the sermon. Praise God, we want to get something out of the sermon. But by that, what do you mean? Get something out of the sermon. Get something out for... Who? For you, Lord. <laughs> For yourself, isn't it? You want to you hear from God's word. What is God's word saying to me? And praise God, we should. We are here because we want to hear what God's word says to us. Praise God. But let me tell you what God's word says to you may not be about you. Let me say that again. God speaks to you from his word, but his word may not be primarily about you. It's a small but significant shift, see? Because often we come to Bible study, we come to the sermon, we come to something, and we are there to get something for us and say, where is it? If it's not for us, then I switch off because it doesn't concern me. And friends, we need to understand the scriptures doesn't concern you. God speaks to you from his word, but it's not primarily about you. God speaks to you about him, about who he is first and foremost. 
That's why it is not about you. Would you help me turn to your neighbor and say, not about you. Not about you. It's not about you. And today, in these three chapters, I want to share with you how is it brought out that it's not about us. The first part, the first segment in the introduction, uh, it reminds us that there are larger realities than ourselves. There are larger realities than our world, number one. And second part, it tells us there's a greater future than ourselves. And finally, that there are puzzling or pressing questions that we have no answers to. That's why it's not about us. It's not about us. Why? Because there are larger realities than our world. There are, there's a greater future than ourselves and there are puzzling questions pressing questions we have no answers to. So let's look at the first. There are larger realities than our world. We look at the first part. This is the introduction and what happens at the introduction. So in the text we'll print for you today, it might be a bit small, but if you can follow along with me, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 4 to 8. So right at the get-go, he, you know, right at the get-go, at the introduction, what happens to Daniel? This is what happens. It says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Abhas and upon his waist. His, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his voice like the sound of multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. And my radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Daniel encountered a being, and he describes it in such glorious detail. This is absolutely frightening. Now, for many of us who have read our Bibles, as you look at Daniel's description of, of the person that he saw, it may strike you, hey, it sounds familiar. I've encountered this somewhere before. And if you think that, you're absolutely correct. Because let me bring you to the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. And again, you have that text, so let me read this for you. Revelation 1, verse 12. And then I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long rope with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining in like the sun in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. Does it sound familiar? As a matter of fact, in the next slide you show, if you compare Daniel's vision and John's vision, it's, it's, it's congruent. It's congruent. And I present to you as John the Apostle on Patmos, he encountered the resurrected Christ what Daniel is encountering here is the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity. We call this a theophany. He, God encountered, God turns up. It is so important right at the beginning of this final vision, God himself in the second person of the Trinity turns up and he meets and he engages Daniel. So I present to you, this is the first thing that puts in our face, it's not about us. God turns up center stage, right center and forward, and reminds us who is really in control. But there's more than just God present in this picture. So in Daniel chapter 10, 
verse 12 to 13 in the introduction. This is what it says. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Verse 13, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. I present to you that this statement now is not the first being, it's a second being. I, I call it a second being, probably an angel, probably Gabriel, although the name is not given down there. Why? Why is it not the first being? Because we've already established the first being is God. This being is not God. Why? Simply because he can be resisted, resisted for 21 days. Not just he can be resisted, he requires help from another angelic being, Michael in this case. So right at the get-go, the first thing that Daniel sees is God himself and then angels come and minister to him. Friends, this is not everyday occurrence. This is, this is something beyond the veil. It's a revelation. It's a lifting of what reality is. It's a reminder that the greatest world that you and I live in is the unseen world. As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to look at the whole issue of spiritual warfare. And that's the details that we're going to look into. But suffice to say this morning, how does this apply to us when it is not about us? So that it's not about us. You, you think along with me. What preoccupies our mind most of the time? If you're a student and you're uh, primary six now, this coming week is uh, what week? PSLE. And it's not just the kids' mind that are preoccupied, the parents also take PSLE, isn't it? Our minds are preoccupied. Subsequent to that will be O-levels and then your A-levels. And so, if you're a worker and you've got a project, you've got stuff to do, you know, it's these deadlines, you know, that's pressing on you. It's, it's taking up your RAM space, your mind space. And you're just thinking about that. Or if you have a parent who's unwell and sick, and so these things will be, they're nothing wrong, you know, friends. These are normal, and, and I'm not saying that we should be not, we should be irresponsible. We have to be responsible. These things should bear on our mind. The unfortunate thing is, by and large, more often than not, these things weigh too heavily for us that we are loculated, we are anchored, we are grounded only in this world. We are anchored only in this world because of all the stuff that happens and overcrowds and, and draws our attention so that we sink deeper and deeper into this world. So some of you will say, so pastor, How? How are you calling me to live? You mean run away, I live in a monastery, I give up everything and wait for Jesus to return. No, no, I don't think that's what the scriptures call us to do. How then should we do? I share with us firstly the danger here, which is by and large for most of us, even as godly Christians, God-fearing Christians, we want to follow Jesus. But because of the cares of the world, the anxieties and everything, we are just pushed down, we are pushed down. And our primary focus is here and material. And all that governs us and all that wearies us is just here. God appears to Daniel to remind, hey guys, it's not just about you. It's not just about the here and now. There are larger realities. But we can't see that. We are just stuck down here. And whether you and I believe it or not, by and large, this world has become our home. Whether we believe it or not, this world has become our home. And we are putting all our eggs into this basket. Neither do I think that God is saying, oh, then the world doesn't become your home. No? We, we wait for heaven to come back and meanwhile we just sell everything and live in a farm, whatever, I don't know. You know. 
That's not what God's calling us to do also. So on one side, this world is my home. We are weighed down and we're anchored down down here. And in, in this space, the world is not my home and try to live far away from all kind of modernity and you know, etc. How then are we to live? I present to you that the scriptures give to us another way, a better way. It's to live like Daniel. How was Daniel living? Daniel was living like an exile. He was an exile. He was a Jew out of his place. And as an exile, if you were to ask Daniel, uh, which is your home? Is the earth your home or is the earth not your home? He will look at you with a question mark, you know. I think this is what Daniel will say. You ask Daniel the question, is the earth your home? Is the world your home? Or is the world not your home? And you know what Daniel will say? I, I don't think that's the right question. Because Daniel will respond to you, God is my home. God is my home. God is my home. As a matter of fact, that's what the Psalms tell us, isn't it? Psalm 91. God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God is to be our dwelling place. But wherever He puts us, whether it's on earth, whether it's in the civil service, whether it's in the army camp, whether it's the school, it doesn't matter because God is our primary place. God is our home. God is our world. That is what should take our focus. And that's what this is reminding Daniel of. In the midst of his concerns, God comes in to say there's a spiritual reality greater than all of these things. And God invites us to be like that. Now, sometimes people say, well, if, if that's the case, then you know, that I don't have to do anything. Now, that's not true. Daniel served four kings very well. But when push comes to shove, his loyalty is clear. He's willing to go to the lion's den if need be. Because as far as God is concerned, God takes pole position in his heart. Therefore, God is his home. Men and women, this is the, what the scriptures are directing us. Where is God in your life? Are you so anchored in this world where without saying it, but just by how our agenda and how we live our life, this world is our home, or we're trying to run away from this world. No, neither. God says, is he your home? Because when God becomes your home, then it doesn't matter where we live already. We can be good stewards of the earth. We can serve well in the civil service. We can serve well as grab drivers. It doesn't matter because God has become our home. This morning, that's exactly what it is because it is not about us. It's about greater realities. Turn to your neighbor again and say, not about you. The second, not just there are larger realities greater than our world, the second is there's a greater future than ourselves. Now we shift from the introduction, we move to the second portion, which is uh, Daniel 11, verse 2, all the way to 12, verse 4. Now this portion of prophetic literature is a bit unusual and I'll try my best to explain it to you. And to, to understand why this is a bit unusual, I need to compare this section uh, with another section of the prophetic literature in Daniel. Okay, so instead of looking at Daniel chapter 11 first, I look with you at Daniel chapter 8. I read a few verses, then we compare it to those verses we'll read in verse 11. So here's Daniel chapter 8, verse 9 to 10. So for example, it goes like that. And out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the hosts of the heavens and it threw some of the starry hosts to the earth and trampled them. Okay, so this is just Daniel chapter 8, just something like that. Now let's turn our attention to the text, okay, to Daniel 11. We read from verse 6 to 8, huh? just three verses. Look at how it sounds, huh? After three years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. 
but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up in attendance, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch, from a roots, one shall arise in his place, and he shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. And he shall also carry out to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Hmm. <laughs> it's like that. What's the difference? What's the difference? Firstly, as you read the text, uh, this one, the first one we read, Daniel 8, there's this thing about starry holes, uh, horn. Uh, it's, it's very broad. There's some details there, but it's just in broad pictures. What I've just read, the last three verses in, in Daniel 11, 6 to 8, uh, it's very granular. It's very specific. It's very detailed. And you read, wow, it's not just this portion, uh, the whole of the, this prophecy, it comes out like that. What's the problem? Let me give you an illustration. Uh. So I'm going to draw a timeline. So pay attention. Uh. Draw a timeline. So this is Daniel. This is long, long ago. Daniel. Over this side on the timeline is where we are. Okay? So when Daniel looks at the prophecies given to him, he looks at it. It's like, oh, wow. All this so detailed. Wow, so detailed. Okay? He sees it and he just repeats it. Okay? So this is from Daniel's vantage point. We move over to current day. Where we are, we look back at what Daniel has said in Daniel chapter 11. And you know what it reads like? It reads like a history book. It reads like a history book. In the sense, it's that blow for blow, what is described, what we've just read, actually has happened. Let me give you an illustration. So after Alexander the Great died, suddenly his kingdom was divided into among his four generals, two of them, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. So here he's talking about the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Why? Because it's so specific. Yeah? So in the north is the Seleucid Empire. The person reigning there was Antiochus II. In the south in Egypt is Ptolemy II. They were always at war. Ptolemy II wanted to broach peace. So he gave his daughter in marriage to the king in the north down here. Uh, the daughter was sent down there. This is history, uh, friends. This is not here. This is history books uh, outside the Bible. Uh. Gave his daughter, <laughs> Bernice, uh, to be married to Antiochus II. Now, Antiochus II already got a wife. So cannot have another queen. Uh. So we have to put the wife called Laodice away. Married her. After the first baby came, he got bored of Bernice. He went back to live with Laodice. Leodice is so angry with the husband for abandoning her, she poisoned the husband. Killed Antiochus the two. Sounds like Korean drama. <laughs> Not just that, she killed off Bernice and the son. Down here, got arm strength taken off. And guess what? The brother, Ptolemy III in Egypt. How can you kill my sister? <laughs> he went and made war with the king of the north. He won and he carried out the booty into Egypt. Like this, no? Like this, no? And it's not just this passage, our friends. The rest of 11 uh, is like, wow, it's blow for blow for blow for blow for blow. And what's the problem? For many of us, it's, it's, yeah, it's not much of a problem. But for other people, they look at this and say, wow, is this so specific? You know, because the prophetic literature here, as I've just tried to show you, is very different from previous prophetic literature. You read Isaiah, you read Micah, you read Haggai, it's just different. It's so specific. 
many of these people think, I, I don't think it really happened. It's, it's what we call prophecy after the fact, which basically means never happened. Nah. But they look back, they lived after that events happened, and they wrote it as prophecy. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this as we get into chapter 11. I have to give you something to fall right in the weeks ahead. But suffice for me to say is that I believe, I believe, God can make it His prophecy so granular. There's no big deal. Why should it not be from God itself? It's just a different way that God is expressing His sovereign control over all of creation. But you see, friends, Daniel was asking for something. God gave something even greater. Because in the midst of all this politicking and all that, we get caught up a bit. It's like us living, you know, in Singapore, in this small island, and there's all these big countries that are upset with one another. And we are caught up in between, in, in the midst of, I, I'm angry with you, uh, you steal my technology, whatever it is, uh, you spy on me, and all this kind of stuff. We are just caught up in this. Likewise, God reminds Daniel it doesn't end that way. How do we see that? Because in Daniel chapter 12, this is how this prophecy ends, and we can show that verse. Daniel chapter 12, uh, second part of verse 1 to 2, it says, But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. These verses are very important. Why is it very important? Because here in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, is the clearest, one of the clearest declarations of resurrection in the Old Testament. The idea of resurrection in the Old Testament is not very well developed. There's splattering of suggestions here and there. But this place... In this place, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, is the greatest testimony that that resurrection is something that God had planned in mind all the time. We come back to this question, how is this not about us? Why did God suddenly appear and then give to Daniel this incredible vision? Why? We need to ask that question and then we'll understand why is it not about us. To understand why God turned up and gave that to Daniel, we need to ask ourselves, what has Daniel been doing? For that, we look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 1 to 3 on the screen. So allow me to read to you. This right at the beginning. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and understanding the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, then the vision was given to him. So we notice that, what's the circumstance? Why did God do so? Because Daniel has been praying and mourning, and he's seeking God for something. This vision was given in response to Daniel's fasting and mourning. So we ask ourselves the question, why was Daniel fasting and mourning? Why? Why? Is it suddenly nothing better to do? I decided to go on a partial fast. Or... No, no, no. Something's happening. The clues, it is not written in this text, but there are two timestamps in this text that gives us a clue. What are the two timestamps? First timestamp is, it was the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Cyrus is a very important person in history for God because in the first year of Cyrus' rule, he gave an edict for the Jews to return to Jerusalem, permission granted to rebuild the temple. Praise God, fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. The people can go back and they can rebuild the temple. So if this was third year, how many years have passed since the edict was given? How many years? Two. Okay, hey, PSLE coming, huh? Mats can do, huh? Two years. Two years, right? Two years. Should the temple have been rebuilt? We would think, of course, the temple should have been rebuilt. 
But in the third year, second two years have passed, history records for us the foundations of the temple not even laid yet. Uh. Two years already, with all the resources getting, the foundations of the temple not even rebuilt. The people are absolutely discouraged. News of this must have gotten back to Daniel. And I think that's part of the reason why he was mourning. See? The state of the church, the state of the people of God is in a bad state. It's not what it's supposed to be. Then the second timestamp is the 24th day of the first month. For the Jews, the first month is the month of Nisan, not the Japanese car. The one has two S. This is N-I-S-E-N. Month of Nisan is the first month. And the significance of the month of Nisan is that on the 14th day, the Passover was celebrated. The Passover. So if this is the 24th day, the Passover just over. And you don't need to fast beyond that. But the fact that our dear friend here, Daniel, was fasting and praying, and the fact that he ate no meat and drank no wine, uh, basically he didn't partake of the Passover. You know? He skipped it. Because the Passover was supposed to represent the glorious deliverance of God for his people. But was there any glorious deliverance back in Jerusalem now? No, the foundation of the temple not even built yet. And so all these added to his pressure, I feel. He felt a weight upon him. And he felt, I need to do something about it. And therefore, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed, or partial fast, rather, partial fast. And he sought the Lord. And the vision came as a result of that. How is this not about us? So think with me, what do we normally pray about? I don't know about you, but often I look at my prayers, it seldom goes beyond my room, you know. <laughs> my prayers are by and large focused on myself, my children, and the immediate things, isn't it? This is what's happening, and I need to pray about it. And it's just, it's just centered on, on me. Here was Daniel. He, 80 plus year old probably now, he, he's probably so old he cannot make the journey back to Jerusalem, but his heart is still for the people of God, see? So what about us? What about us? What do we pray for? What we pray for often is a reflection upon what's upon our hearts. How, where are we anchored? Where are we anchored in this world? So give you a simple thoughts to pray about. Uh, for those of us in CGs, uh, you, you pray for uh, your CG members, but do you pray for your CG leaders? Our CG leaders are some of our best unsung heroes in the world. You know, we expect a lot from them, but then seldom we pray from them. So today, go back this week, pray for your CG leader. Pray beyond yourself. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for ourselves. Huh? I'm not saying that. But the scriptures are inviting us to pray beyond ourselves. What about, uh, what about praying for your neighbours, your geographical neighbours, those around you, that they may come to know Jesus? What, what about praying for Covenant, the church here? Praying for your leaders, praying for your pastors, praying for your board members. Sometimes I wonder, do we even know who our board members are? Once a year they're presented, then after that they disappear. Eh? Don't know who our board members are. Do we even pray for our nation? Do we even pray for our national leaders? That the Lord will bless them, protect them, keep them righteous, walking before them. Do we pray beyond Singapore? Do we pray for our missionaries in Timor, Sarah, Hazel, just to name a few, Pastor Glenn in, 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 in Thailand, Pastor Andy in Indonesia? Do we, do we pray beyond that? We pray for what's happening in the world. You look at the climatic changes this year. It's, it's not that we've never had fires and tornadoes and stuff like that, but to have them come together in this frequency and this intensity is unheard of. It's unheard of. Do we pray for the people suffering under wars? 
I bring this before us not to put a guilt trip to, to us. I bring this before us just to reveal to us that often it's about us, see? It's about me and myself. How do we move beyond that? How do we pray beyond that? I give you something very practical uh, uh, to pray for those of us who are not in the East. Uh, some of us may be aware that land has been released by the government, yes, for building of church property. Uh, and the first piece of land released is in Sengkang. Okay, so it's public notice, people know. And some of us in Woodlands and BBJ may say, oh, okay, like that long. It concerns the East, ma. The scriptures are reminding, no, 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 it's not just about the East. We are together as a spiritual family here in covenant. Would you pray along with us? It's not just the East concern. It's all of our concern because we are covenant, one church together. And pray, God, is this the piece of land? We don't know. We are asking you to pray along with us for that resonance so that together we may seek the face of God and do the best for our East congregation. I share that with you because the scriptures remind us again there's something larger than ourselves. There's a greater future coming. It's not about us. And God invites us to pray prayers larger than ourselves. And finally, it's not about us. Why? Because we have pressing questions we have no answers to. We have pressing questions we have no answers to. And for that, we land in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, in the closure, in the closure of the book. Daniel 12, verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So this is the closure. And for all intent and purposes, the book of Daniel could have ended there. Game over, finished, stop preaching, nothing else. But it doesn't end there because there's verse 5 all the way to verse 13. So let me quickly summarize what these nine verses are. Basically, there are two questions here. I won't tell you what the two questions are because then the preaching team got nothing to preach already. There are two questions that are asked there. There are two questions that are asked there. Uh, and basically, they don't get an answer. Lah. Or God doesn't answer them in a way that they expected. So let me give you an illustration or example in Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. This is what God says. He said, Daniel, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Go your way, Daniel. You know what God is saying? So I tell you, are these questions we ask God? Uh, it's not just in the book of Daniel. In the New Testament, someone asked Jesus that question as well. In the Sea of Galilee, at the restoration of Peter, Peter asked Jesus a question. So we show the text, John 21, 21 to 22. When Peter saw him, which is actually the apostle John, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. If I could paraphrase that in the local dialect of Hokkien, what Jesus would have said, it's probably like this, msilu e uh, for those of us who don't understand, it basically means uh, none of your business. None of your business. And we find this is scattering. We, we often want to know. We want to know, wow, what is this? What is this? It's blurred to us. We want to be certain. We want to be clear. And often God comes to us and says, uh, you mind your own business. You know what you must do? You do first. Uh, the rest, I will look after it. I will take care of it. And it's very frustrating for many of us, no? Because we need our answers now, see? We want clarity and certainty now because it's all about us, ma. And God tells us, no, friends, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about His agenda, about His timing. You know, I, I started this morning 
by uh, sharing what uh, Margaret Rankle talked about, the self-facing camera. She says that with the invention of the selfie, uh, uh, how we think of life has fundamentally shifted inwards. I don't fully agree with her. I don't fully agree with her. Why? Because I tell you, even without the invention of the selfie, because of our sinful nature, all of us are already curved in on ourselves. We are already self-centered, egoistic, focused on ourselves. This is me and myself. And, and therein lies the danger of Christianity or any religion. Because we bring that mindset into our faith and we enter into a belief system and we think that God must meet my need. God must answer my prayers. It's all about me. And God reminds us, hey guys, this is not the case. It's not about you. Not that you're not important, not that your worries are, are, are bad, everything, nothing. But it's not primarily about you. It's about God and the kingdom that he's bringing to pass. If we enter our faith thinking like that, you can call it whatever you want, but it's certainly not the Christianity that the scriptures and God invites us to. This morning, God invites us to something larger. God is doing something much greater, much grander. He's given us enough assurance. He has sent His Son to die on the cross for us. The best gift He's already given to us. Romans tell us, what else will He withhold from you? And basically, God is saying, trust me, it's not about you, but trust me, you are important. But first and foremost, it's about me and my kingdom that is coming. So friends, this morning, as we see this overview, God reminds us that there are greater, larger realities than our world. There's a greater future than ourselves. And there are pressing questions you and I have no answers to. I want to update us as we come to a close on what's happening to Ryan. Many of you know Ryan, but some of you do not, so allow me to share the quick background story to this. Uh, Ryan and family joined us five years ago, just before the pandemic, 2018. Uh, and uh, Ryan is 15 years old now, but for 10 years, he has been suffering from a condition called autoimmune hepatitis. It's also affected his hepatobiliary system. Uh, and basically, the, the, the body is attacking the own liver and the biliary system. And it's been failing, 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 failing until this year where it was quite critical and he required a liver transplant. Initially, we brought this up to the church because we thought he would be able to go for a liver transplant two months ago because they thought the dad was compatible. But two days before the transplant, the surgeons did some more scan and discovered that the dad's liver was not suitable for whatever reason. And so we brought this up before the church and said, you know, let's pray. Let's pray because it's fairly critical for, for, for Ryan at this season. Let's pray that God would supply a donor. How is this not about us? How is this not about us? Not about you. When we made the call, we basically made a call for prayer. But you know what? Not one, not two, not three, not five, not ten, fifteen covenantal step forward to volunteer themselves as donors. And I, it blew our minds away. Why would anyone want to do that? Because friends, this is not about giving money. It's not even about giving blood. It's about undergoing a fairly complex operation. And many of you don't know this. Let me share. Between to, to even qualify to be a donor, you need to jump through some hoops. And then after that, you have to go through a whole series of investigations, you know, blood tests, uh, CT scan, etc., etc. Then they see whether you're qualified. Ask a question. All these tests, are uh, who pays for them? Who pays for these tests? It's not free, you know. The donor pays for them. So when you volunteer, you're not just volunteering to give, huh? you're paying, you know, 
And many of these paid for their tests. This is absolutely incredible. I, if you ask why would they do that, I said, because they recognize it's not about themselves. See? It's not about themselves. They realize I'm praying and God put a burden. Why don't you volunteer? I volunteer. I'll pay the price. It's incredible. This is the kind of life. This is what God calls us to. This is what a church is all about. When we give ourselves to God, it's not about us, somebody else. We do what we can. Not everybody can. What we can, we each do our part. And you know what's the best thing? We finally found a match. 17 days ago, they underwent the transplant from a donor in covenant. Praise God. Praise God. And you know what? The donor doesn't want to be known. Doesn't want to be known. The person says, no, you know, it's, a, it's about God. It's not about me. You know, I will, I will just do this for God. It's incredible. This is the kind of people that God is looking forward to. When our focus is not on ourselves, eh? we give. Why? Because God has led us to give. That is the kind of life that God invites us to. Well, it's not about us. What about Ryan and his family? What about Ryan and his family right now? So I'm going to show you a picture. So this is the latest picture. We're grateful he's smiling. I'll tell you why later. Um, many of you, thank you so much, have been praying for Ryan. And uh, 17 days post-op, I wish to tell you that you know, God answered all our prayers. Uh. You know, wow, he made through the surgery very good. Uh, everything is very well. No infection. Uh, he's doing superbly. Uh, but the reality is not true. Lah. It's not true. The reality is that this uh, has gone through a pretty difficult post-op period. As a matter of fact, seven days ago, last Saturday, they had to go in and open up the wounds again because there was an infection that could not be cleared. And, uh, but thankfully, in this picture, it's post-physiotherapy. We are grateful. Uh, we want one that he's smiling and, and that he's happy with his family and is probably listening to the message right now. So Ryan, if you can hear, we are rooting for you. Everything for you. In the midst of all this, it is not over yet. There is still much pain in the wound. There are no answers. You know, we say God, no infection, got all this. But what happened? Got infection, you know. Got this, I got that. So God, how come? Never answer our prayers. Pressing questions. No answers. No answers. No answers. This was what the parents sent to us just a few days ago in the midst of the pain. Eh? So this is what they wrote. So let me read this for you. What comforted us is that like last night when he was in great pain, he gave thanks to God. He thanked God for a Christian family that he grew up in and he thanked God that we have the church family to journey with us. He gave thanks while he was in his deepest pain. No answers. No answers. No answers. But there is thanksgiving. No answers. But there is thanksgiving. This is the life that God invites us to. This is the life where it's not about us because God is about His greatest work and He invites us on this great journey in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much, so much you love us. There's such a great destiny ahead of you've given to us. 
but you remind us from the scriptures today also it's not about us so first and foremost Lord we bring before you Ryan and his family right now we pray in Jesus name in spite of some things not going our way we trust you Lord as they are trusting you as Ryan is trusting you we bless them in Jesus name and as the congregations we rise and we give thanks like Ryan and their family give thanks Give thanks for your goodness, for the supply of a donor, for the good people that have come alongside that has just supported. Thank you so much. We give thanks to our great, magnificent God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We pray for strength for them to carry on and to do exceedingly well. Thank you, Lord. We look forward to the day where we can run, can be back serving here and enjoying the fellowship with all of us here. But Lord, also we bring ourselves before you. And men and women, I, I know time has caught up with us, but I want to give us a few moments to respond because I believe God has spoken to us and God is speaking to us. It's not about you, see? That's exactly what God is saying today. It's not about you. It's about what I'm doing. Would you trust me? Would you yield your life afresh to me? Afresh to me. And in the quiet of this moment, would you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you? Father, thank you so much for being with us, for speaking to us through your scriptures, reminding us that it's not about us, it's about who you are and what you have already done. So Lord, as we come to a close, Lift our eyes to see our magnificent Jesus, for we ask this in His name. Amen. I invite us to stand and uh, wishing to lead us in this time of worship unto the Lord.
We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.